This episode of the Busted Wide Open podcast is brought to you by Blueberry. Blueberry offers the best media hosting, accurate listening stats, and their all-new PowerPress Deluxe Sites, a no-setup WordPress website for your podcast with all the necessary links to share your show with the world built right in. If you currently produce a podcast and are looking for a better host, or if you're looking to start a new one from scratch, head over to orbitaljigsaw.com slash BWO and sign up for the best media hosting and a PowerPress Deluxe site to get your first month absolutely free. That's orbitaljigsaw.com slash BWO or just use the promo code BWO at checkout for your first month absolutely free. And now, enjoy the show. This is your boy Dak from the 410 Gaming Podcast, and when I'm not doing terrible wrestling impersonations, I'm listening to the Busted Wide Open Podcast on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. Oh, yeah! You're listening to the Busted Wide Open Podcast. Dropping the elbow on the hottest topics in sports entertainment and the world of professional wrestling. With your hosts, Nick Howell and Sir Ian Dangerous. Coming to you from the Orbital Jigsaw Network Arena in sunny Southern California. Welcome back to the Busted Wide Open Podcast, but if you're joining us for the first time, I'd like to welcome you to episode number 46. I'm Nick Howell. And I am Sir Ian Dangerous, and we are finally getting to our Wrestle Kingdom 12 review and recap show. We've been talking about this for like six months now, at least. Well, talking We're about, off the back of the G1, I guess. Yeah, we wanted to do to like a whole separate New Japan show for a while now, yeah. and it seemed like, I mean, we had a couple of opportunities, but really, this is one we, we just couldn't let this go by. This is, yeah. this is New Japan's biggest event of the year, it's Wrestle Kingdom. WrestleMania. It is their WrestleMania, and it was a doozy this year, New Japan has had one hell of a year in terms of quality, in terms of matches, in terms of stories. They, they've had one of their best years, arguably ever, uh, and certainly within the last couple decades. Yeah. And so this was the culmination to a lot of that. And we're going to talk about all the different matches and see if it, if it, if it matched up. Well, it's not just the matches. There's tons of storylines that progressed, and did anything finish? I think we need to talk about some of that stuff. Did we blow anything off? I think there were, there were a couple of blow-offs, uh, but I think there's definitely a lot of opening up new avenues and new stories, and one story that we thought was going to be ended here, or at least come to a conclusion, was given a hard ellipsis. I think I think they they made this uh, look like we have an open end on one of the longest currently running storylines in wrestling. So this is there's a lot to talk about here, and a lot of exciting stuff happened on this show. Well, it wasn't just Wrestle Kingdom; we also had the New Year's Dash as well. So what was what was to do with that? Yeah, what, the, the, what do we need to talk about with like that? The little event they had shortly after Wrestle Kingdom, a couple of like the fallout moments from Wrestle Kingdom, give you an idea of where they're going in the new year. So. Definitely, we'll, we'll we'll touch on that at the end as kind of a way to put the put the cap on the whole thing because it, it gave us some idea of uh, what's happening next in New Japan and it was some 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 cool stuff happened there. Absolutely. Well, we we're definitely going to run through each of the matches, give you some commentary on that, but stick around afterwards because we've got a special segment that we really wanted to talk about around you know uh, New Japan being an adoption in the U.S. and draw some analogies to some things that. My experience, my first real, maybe outside some of the G1 matches, first real experience, as I've told you guys here on the show, I was going to dive into New Japan in 2018 and fully invest. And after my first 
six hour pay-per-view <laughs> i've got some thoughts and i want to share them with you ian as a as a hardcore new japan fan and maybe some different perspectives some from somebody who's not and maybe we can talk about that yeah let's let's discuss like what works about new japan in in, in a western wrestling perspective like if it's accessible to american audiences and you know if they do want to branch out and try to you know get over here a little bit more which it seems like they're trying to do with matches like Jericho and Omega, you know, what, what their obstacles are and what they have going for them that, that will help them accomplish that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, let's jump right in and start things off just as they did talking about their version of the Royal Rumble match, which they call is it the Royal the new thing, Rumble new Japan Rumble? Rumble, new Japan Rumble, I believe they call it. It's okay. basically, it's basically, it's their, it's their match where they put. Everyone, they don't really have anything to do with right. <laughs> on the show, and they yeah. have them on. You know, you had Tiger Mask was in this, and and Bushi, Chase Owens, David Finlay, uh, Desperado was in this. You know, some of the older guys like uh, like ten, like Hiroshi Tenzan and Kitamura and uh, Kojima was in this. Um, uh, Nagata. So you you had a bunch of their so their their older, more venerable dudes. You know, having spots in this, and it was a. It was an elim- It's kind of like the Royal Rumble where there's a countdown, someone shows up, and then it's an elimination, either over the top rope or you lose by pinfall of submission, right. as opposed to the Royal Rumble, which is only over the top rope. Gotcha. So it's basically a, a way to get everyone a little bit of time and shine. Uh, wh- so we don't need to talk about this too long, because you know, like a lot of New Japan, where they have like the Road 2 specials, it's, it's a lot of people in the ring, and there's not really a whole lot of storyline going on. It's more like just kind of a way to warm up the crowd. Um, but... What was cool about this was the final two people in this, uh, Cheeseburger, who people might know from Ring of Honor. He's very popular in Ring of Honor. He's becoming very popular in New Japan. Uh, he was the he, he and uh, Masahito Kakihara were the last two guys in this match. And Kakihara recently came back from battling cancer. So he was a surprise final entrant in this. And uh, the crowd popped big for him. He's, he's 45. He's, he's been around for a while. So it was kind of a, um, like a happy story to have him back in the match. Well, and he beat Cheeseburger. He won the whole thing. So huh. it was like a really cool little redemption story. Nice kind of like feel good way to start the whole show. And that was pretty much that's pretty much all you have to say about this. This rumble. It was it was fun. It was entertaining. People got their shine. And yeah. Well, so I mean, like the Royal Rumble match over on the WWE side, are there any stakes in this that grant you something for winning this match? Not that I'm aware of. I don't believe so. It's just you know, for fun. It's just for fun. It's just okay. it's it's there to, you know, sometimes in these matches, if someone beats somebody else, uh, you know, in the future they may get a singles match against them or something like that. You know, but it's it's overall it's just a way to to have a match and let everyone show their athleticism. Well, part of what I take is the growth of New Japan over the course of the last year. Normally, there's only 14 entrants into this match. This year, we had 21. Yeah. So, I, I, any significance from your perspective as to why that would be? Do you see it growing even bigger than this, and maybe eventually introducing some kind of stakes? I mean, they could. They they have they the do have maybe they do have rumbles sometimes that do yeah right. <laughs> uh, they do sometimes have these that have stakes. They have they have the the multi man tags that do have stakes in them. It's it's their way to tell little stories on the side without having the backstage segments that are so prevalent in WWE. Yeah. Uh, so you basically get your stories in ring and how people interact with each other and who who beats who and who fights who and how they interact and that's that's how they tell their stories. We'll move it over. Let's talk about the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Championship featuring the Young Bucks versus Rapongi 3K. Yeah, show and yo, man. Came back off of excursion and immediately won the belts. And then they defended them against the uh, the Young Bucks who have the most championship reigns in New Japan history. Uh, they they were they were they were six time tag champs coming into this match. Uh, and you know, honestly, I th- I 
uh, Wrestle Kingdom 11, the Bucks had a, a fantastic match, but they've been kind of hit or miss for the rest of the year. Some matches are great, some matches are not. I, I personally, I thought this was a really fun, really well done match, and it had a lot more psychology in it than I usually expect from a young Bucks match. A lot of times they're criticized for not having enough psychology. And this one was really nicely built around both uh, Yo and Matt Jackson, uh, quote unquote, injuring their backs yeah. in this match. And so there's a lot of selling of the backs and, and working on the backs uh, with sharpshooters and, and super kicks to the back. And there was a I think there was one spot where, where um, one of the young bucks did a, uh, a splash or a moonsault onto Yo's back while he was draped over the ropes. I mean, it was, as you would expect, a lot of really good high flying, a lot right. of really good, a lot of super kicks. Uh, but it was, I, I thought it was a very entertaining match. Uh, but the Young Bucks pick it up again. They beat Sho and Yo, which I think is, I think is smart booking because Sho and Yo came back and won it really quickly. And now they have something to fight for. They have a little more stakes sure. when they fight. So, you know, and they're talented as hell. Like, you know, they got Rocky Romero as their manager, who's, they obviously New Japan thinks very highly of. Yeah. Um, he's one of the only Western guys who speaks fluent Japanese. So I think having him, having them all together, I think they they have a lot to to work with here. Omega does as well, doesn't he? If I'm not mistaken, not as well as uh, as Rocky does. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, he he speaks a bit of it. He's trying to get better at it, but Rocky's fluent. Well, with Show and Yo dropping the belts to the Young Bucks, uh, them becoming seven time champions, what does this spell for Show and Yo on the off the back of this? They look like two really young, talented up and comers. Yeah. Do you see them continuing to pursue the Bucks throughout 2018 for to get the titles back? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the Bucks also, as much as they've had a bunch of reigns, they're also not very good at defending them. I think they've only had nine defenses. <laughs> well, that's and how seven, you get seven seven, wins. seven reigns. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you have to lose a lot to win a lot. Right. But. Uh, uh, yeah, so I, I do see Show and Yo continuing to chase. I, I, there's not really a whole lot. Uh, there's not a whole lot of other people who are, seem like they're in contention or really high up in the the junior heavyweight or the, sorry the junior heavyweight tag division right now. So I, yeah, I see the Show and Yo uh, feud going on. It certainly seemed that way at New Year Dash that that would continue, and I think that's a good idea. The, these guys all work inc- incredibly well together. Yeah. So yeah. Th- Great way to start the show. High energy. Um, obviously, at this point, Young Bucks are kind of staples of New Japan, and they're very over there. And uh, Sho and Yo can be kind of the hometown heroes. So, yeah, a great way to start the show and definitely got us primed for the rest of the madness. Speaking of which, we have to get into something that took a, 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 an exorbitant amount of time to get through, which was the never open weight six-man tag gauntlet match. That was a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> Even more of a mouthful is the people who were in this match. Oh. I mean, it's funny because they actually packed a lot. I didn't think it was over long at all. It was like 17, 18 minutes to get through all four of these teams. And it was a gauntlet match, as you said, which means that we start out with two teams. The winner faces the next team to come out and then this and so forth until the, uh, the final team out is the champs. And the champs going into this was uh, OG Bullet Club, which is uh, Bad Luck Fale, Tamatonga, and Tonga, uh, Tonga Loa. So uh, they were the last ones out. We started off with Suzuki Gun, and it's supposed to just be three guys, but of course, all of Suzuki Gun came to the ring, as they do, uh, and they faced off against uh, Michael Elgin and War Machine, which was interesting because we had heard before Wrestle Kingdom that War Machine was like almost a lock. One foot out the door. Yeah, to go to WWE. So seeing them come out, and then also with all of the crap coming out recently about Michael Elgin and what a shithead he is in real life, it was weird to see them come out first, and you could kind of handicap right off the bat. Well, they're going out. They're not getting they're the not, <laughs> They ain't going nowhere. <laughs> right. And they, you know, to their credit, they did have a lot of good shine spots. Uh, War Machine had, a, had some cool strength spots, and it was, it was a fun match. It just they, 
They lost. Michael Elgin had one. I think I've seen Jeff Cobb do it as well, where he, he has one guy on his shoulders, one guy picks up another, presses another guy, ends up Samoa dropping, and then th- another overhead throw of the other guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, that nice. was an impressive spot. Yeah, and then and uh, one of the member, uh, one of the members of Warmer, I think it was Hanson, did like a, a moonsault off the top rope. That's a big boy to be doing a moonsault. And it's, he missed, but it's but still impressive. Still <laughs> impressive. I'm sorry. I don't care if you missed. Uh, but yeah, it ended with uh, Zack Sabre Jr. tapping out uh, Mike Rowe, I believe. Or he didn't tap him out. He put him to sleep. He put him to sleep in the triangle. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. No, and, so- and there was an interesting moment there, and we actually stopped and, and said this, but you heard the ref go, stop, stop, stop. And it looked like a, a, a typical like cross-arm kind of like, oh, man, he's messed up. Legit. He threw the X up. And I don't yeah. know if that was a sell, but... It, it, I got the impression that he was really hurt. The fact that they didn't linger on it, I, it, it diffused it a bit for me. Had, okay. had, it, had, it, had they taken more time with him just lying in the ring, then I would have started to get worried. Yeah. But it, it was, yeah, it's a really good sell. Clear the ring, you bring a stretcher out, you start getting worried. And Zack Sabre Jr. is one of those guys who can legit put you to sleep. Like, he's, <laughs> a, he's a scary grappler. He can be. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that, was, that was a cool moment. Uh, but then the next one's out was Chaos. Right out, right out the gate, you had um, you had Beretta, Tomohiro Ishii, my boy, and uh, Toru Yanu, other boy, coming out, uh, and they had a uh, they put out Suzuki again pretty quickly. Uh, Toru Yanu rolled up Taichi after giving him the low blow, and and they were out pretty quick. Yeah, I was actually surprised at how fast Suzuki again was out. Um, and then we kept on going. We had Chaos versus uh, Taguchi Japan. Which was Juice Robinson, Ryusuke Taguchi, of course, and Togi Makabe. They, I, I thought they'd have a little bit more time, but uh, yeah, Taguchi got a little bit overzealous, and he ended up getting rolled up by Toruyano, and they're out. So now it's Chaos, who survived two teams going up against the the, uh, the champs. As I said, OG Bullet Club, right? And uh, this is where things got interesting. Yeah, the pace definitely picked up here because you know these guys, the Tongans, are OG Bullet Club or Gorillas of Destiny or whatever you want to call them. At this point, I don't even know what to refer to them. Well, the Gorillas of Destiny is just Tamatonga and Tongaloa as right. a tag team. And then you add Fale in, and the three of them together are like three of the founders of Bullet Club. Right. So they just call themselves the OGBC. Which it, is, you it, know. It, it, one of the big spots for me was that was uh, Beretta kicking out of Tonga's uh, gun stun, and that ultimately leading to the pin. I just love that the, the gun stun has become because it's kind of like a, a you know it's a cutter like a diamond cutter or like an RKO, right? And he's basically trying to out Randy Orton, Randy Orton. By Let's having, talk about this. This is good. <laughs> Where like he just keeps trying to find more creative ways to have it come out of nowhere on somebody. We need to make a supercut video of all of his cutters that he's doing with Michael right. Cole orgasming, going out of nowhere. Oh God! Oh yeah. God! Oh my God! Yes. Oh God! Can you imagine how Michael Cole would, would destroy the Gorillas of Destiny? Oh God! They call themselves the Gorillas of Destiny. Anyway, I don't even want to get into that. Another big spot was Ishii trying to suplex freaking Bad Luck Fale. Yeah, I, I, had, I this had slipped my mind until we got to, yes. This whole this went on for like it felt like ten minutes where each of them <laughs> were trying to vertically suplex the other one, and he did it. He did it. He, he got, got big old Fale up in a vertical hold, and he held it there for two or three seconds. Yeah, no, it wasn't just like a, a snap suplex or anything. He got this 350-pound monster up in the air, <laughs> and Ishii's a little fire plug. I mean, he's not that tall, but he's, he's a block. Yeah. But here's the thing. I still feel like I maybe this is just me being an Ishii mark. I feel like he was kind of wasted on this show, like him having like one quick shine spot in a multi-man tag match. 
Ah, it's kind of sad. I wish he had. I wish he had more to do because that he is so money and he can go in big matches. I would love to see him further on this year, getting into the big title picture. Yeah. Um. And it's it's disheartening to see him. Kind of, you know, this is where the, he got relegated on Wrestle Kingdom. He had a great G one climax this year. I mean, it great was just. G1 it was just. I, I I was surprised that he did not have a bigger role going into Wrestle Kingdom myself. I really yeah. am. Yeah, I agree, and I you know I think that someone who might have a bigger role as well is Trent Beretta because they seem like they're putting a lot of faith in him. Like you said, not only did he kick out of the gun stun, uh, then he hit a put on his dude buster for the win. Um, so he he pinned the champs himself. So the fact that he got that shine, we'll see. You know, ever since he and uh, Rocky Romero split up, and he went heavyweight, like they they seem like it, you know he's been putting in good work, and they seem like they've been appreciating it. So mm. definitely want to keep an eye on him going forward. Oh, by the way. Toru Yanu has a belt. I know. It's great. Toru Yanu has wow. a belt. Oh, who's he going to low blow to keep it? That's just right. the question. <laughs> well, hey, let's move over and talk about uh, what were kind of maybe the f- matches that people were more familiar with, starting with Cody facing off against Kota Ibushi. Yeah, this is this is one of those matches that I, you know, I think I think this match would have been promoted more. I think it would have been possibly even later on the card uh, if Cody had retained the Ring of Honor belt. I think the fact that he lost it took away some of the shine from this match and it just became a singles match. And they had to kind of, in the match, like push some of the the storyline stuff going on with Cody and Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega and the, the weird dynamic going on in Bullet Club and the history of, of, of Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega. And they, that just became like a storyline thing. But yeah. then the match itself didn't have that same weight to it there were two or three like highlight spots but that was that was kind of just i didn't feel it right and, and i can't i've i know the little bit that i know from you know vicariously being near you but i can't imagine being somebody new coming in and, and giving a shit about this match yeah and, and the problem was even as someone who watches the show it seemed like it was kind of thrown together huh. that being said i i actually uh when i first watched it and i've watched it twice now when i first watched it i was underwhelmed i was like eh, eh. You know, because I've I've been I'm so used to Ibushi just being God, basically, and you know, just wrestling, uh, uh, just royalty. He's he's a freak of nature, and I thought that he was downplaying his abilities to be able to work with Cody. Um, looking at it again, I thought the storytelling was was way better than I had realized the first time. I thought the psychology was way better. I thought the uh, the way that they worked. Uh, Cody being aggressive and 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 cheating and using Brandy to psych out Kota Ibushi and then hitting him with that monster crossroads onto the floor that looked like it broke Ibushi's neck and then Ibushi's comeback from that. The timing of his comeback was much more elegant than I remember it being and it was actually a w- very well timed, very well worked match. Mm. Uh, it just I, you know it just fell a little flat because it the stakes weren't high enough. The, the thing that stood, stood out for me with this match was two things, the commentary and Brandy more than like what was going on with in, in the graps in the, happening in the ring. So it was that whole story, uh, and you could hear it in the commentary, they're kind of, you know, whatever you want to call it, male love for Brandy. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say that as nice as I possibly can. But at the same time, her getting involved and then the psychology of her and Cody laughing as if she, oh, she's acting, you know, as yeah. if we didn't know that, right? But I thought that added some entertainment value, if nothing else, to the match, and at least made it fun. Yeah, and that, that was, I, you know, I kind of described it to you as being a, a bit more of a hybrid of the Western WWE style, yeah. where, you know, if they had if they had done a little more work on, like, a, a storyline under this match, this would have felt like a WWE match. 
uh, frankly, with some with some bigger spots. But uh, like WWE will never allow a crossroads onto the floor, <laughs> for example. But uh, it definitely felt a little bit more that WWE style where there was a lot of like external shenanigans and and uh, acting and heel work going on. Like Cody was playing a classic old school heel yeah. in this match, which you don't really you don't see that a lot in New Japan. You know what I mean? Like Minoru Suzuki is is kind of one of the more heely, like classically heely guys they have, and even he doesn't get this cartoonish. Um, you know, and Jericho later in the show was definitely doing that, but he was to 11 where Cody was around a nine, an eight or a nine. You know what I mean? So even there, it wasn't as big as I thought it, it, it could have been or should have been, Yeah. but it definitely felt like more of a hybrid of a Western style, partially to hide Cody's. I'm not going to say, I think weaknesses is unfair because I think Cody's very talented, but Abushi is just so far beyond yeah. him in terms of ability and possibilities of what he can do in that ring that Cody was having to be the aggressor and, and keep Abushi down more uh, just so that they could work his style more. Hmm. Interesting. Are, are they moving forward with this Cody and Kenny stuff and splitting up Bullet Club between the elite and, and what's going on? Or is there any going to be further in, interactions with Kenny Omega and Ibushi? What, I mean, what are we looking at here? There was a line that Cody said. He said, he doesn't love you like I love you or like yeah. I do or something like that. And the commentary referenced his uh, Ibushi's thing. What is that thing. supposed to mean? Is he talking about Kenny Omega? Is he trying to get into his head? Right. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, again, the way that New Japan tells stories is very subtle. They 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 tell it in the ring for the most part or in press conferences. Um, we got a little bit more information about where this is going at New Year Dash, but it, it moves very slowly. Okay. Um, you know, Cody and Cody and Kenny kind of got into it uh, at New Year Dash. Obviously, they're warring for control of the Bullet Club right now, um, but they're not outright going to war. They're just there's just some tension, some dissension in the ranks. Um, so Cody facing off against Kota Ibushi here was his way of kind of twisting the knife in Kenny Omega. And if he'd beaten him, then he would, you know, have one up on Kenny Omega. Essentially. The question is at what point do we see the, the long, long, long history of Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega coming back into the forefront right now? Everyone, everyone's doing their own separate things. They're just kind of subtly referencing it to keep it in our minds. Uh, but I don't. Everyone was kind of hoping for Kota Ibushi Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom, I think. But even they said it's too soon for that. Uh, they mm. said they wanted they wanted New Japan to let them give more of a build and make it a bigger deal when they do finally wrestle each other. Um, and and by the way, we've we've talked in in uh, WWE before about matches where someone might die. Kenny Omega Kota Ibushi, someone might die. Damn, they're gonna pull out the stops when that does eventually happen, which we all hope it does. One more aside to this match. Does this have any implications to Dalton Castle in the Ring of Honor Championship? Like I don't what, think it does. Um, I mean, the fact that I, Dalton Castle should have, I mean, to give this match more stakes, I think the Ring of Honor Championship should have been, just been one of the belts that was defended. I agree. Uh, and they just went for storyline over, I don't know, prestige is the right word, but storyline over... Um, importance you know what i mean so i think this match would have felt more important if dalton castle had come in and in cody's place and it was just a match where the ring of honor title was defended instead what they're trying to what they're trying to do here is tell a piece of a larger story and so when the ring of honor championship was no longer in it then they couldn't hide behind the fact that it was a championship match and these were like all right fuck it yeah it's just a story 
So I don't think Dalton Castle is going to be coming and defending Ring of Honor in Japan anytime soon. Well, moving on, let's talk about the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Championship featuring Killer Elite Squad, Davey Boy Smith Jr. and Lance Archer facing off against Evil and Sonata of Chaos. This, again, was another one of those where I was just like, okay, they had a tag match. Yeah, I, I, this one didn't blow me away either. It was The one cool thing about it was right at the beginning, uh, Davey Boy Smith and Lance Archer hit their finisher, and it looked like it was going to be over in 10 seconds. Like it was, it looked like it was going to be a squash. Uh, and then the rest of the match was, was evil and Sonata getting beaten down for freaking ever. And then having a very, I thought small comeback at the end to win the belts. And I just thought this match was a little bit, um, in terms of the storytelling was a little bit lopsided. I, th- I felt like the beat down went on too long. I felt like the comeback was too short. Um, everyone's a good worker in this match. I just felt like it was it, the, the timing was was it was wrong. It wasn't it wasn't timed well in terms of the storytelling. Well, I mean, we Evil had a great G one, and there was some other things that came out of. The, I mean, are Evil and Sonata a legit tag team? Are we going to see this going forward? I don't twenty eighteen. I don't know. I don't know how long they're going to keep them teamed up. I mean, we saw some stuff like I said a New Year Dash. Like we'll get into what's going forward after that, and it may have implications for this tag team. I think that having them as a tag team is a good idea because you can have other tag teams come along and they do feel legit because they're, as you said, they're both pretty big deals. Evil, you know, is one of the guys that beat Okada right. in, the, in the G1. Like, he had a year. Uh, and Sonata is a, is a major up-and-comer as well. Um, so keeping them as a tag team, to me, kind of feels like Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins being tag champs over on WWE. It's like you've got two of your biggest guys all of a sudden at the top of the tag division and unless they're there to make your other tag teams look good, how long do you keep them there? Yeah. You know, so I, I can, I don't know. I don't know how long they're going to keep that rolling. The tag division, the belts do change hands a lot. So they could get out pretty quickly. But if they do that, then why have them do it here? So it was, it, yeah. I mean, again, I, I thought it was a cool thing to have Evil and Sonata team up, but. I don't know. It was still weird having them uh, win the tag tournament and then now they win here where I, I kind of feel like Killer Elite Squad should have been, um, they should have been cemented as the guys Yeah, because they feel like a legit monster tag team. They're bigger than everybody else in, in Japan, man. They're huge. So it's, um, I mean, physically. So yeah, I thought, I thought they should have been cemented. But hey, I, I like Evil and Sonata too. So yeah. we'll, see what, we'll see what they do with it. Well, moving on, we have to talk about the Never Open Weight Championship hair versus hair match, better known, also known as the Somebody Might Die match. Seriously. Featuring Minoru Suzuki and Hiroki Goto. Yeah, no, and this is this is the thing, is usually when you hear hair versus hair match, you kind of roll your eyes and go, oh, God. And honestly, because they had a couple of stinker matches earlier this year, when you hear Hiroki Goto and Minoru Suzuki, you kind of go, oh, God. Um this was the surprise of the night, and this was also one of my highlights of the night. I freaking loved this match because they they made it clear what the stakes were, uh, where where Goto really had nothing else to offer Suzuki so that Suzuki would give him a shot at the title, and he wanted that title back. He's, he's had a long string of kind of not being able to pull it out in the big one. Uh, and this was like his last chance at redemption. And Goto's always kind of been like that. Uh, honorable samurai character. He's a little dull, but he's, you know, he's like kind of the, the, he's a baby face. He's like, he's a, he's a purebred baby face. Um, and then Suzuki, of course, is the, the utter psychopath. One of my favorite heels in wrestling. He's Satan. He's, he's, he's the devil. <laughs> he's Yakuza Satan. Yes. Uh, 
But and so Goto said, like the only thing he has left is his honor, is his dignity. So he says, you know what? If you beat me in this match, take my hair, and that that got Suzuki's attention. You know, he's like, ooh, I get to humiliate you now too, like like the Skeletor thing. <laughs> I can humiliate you too, He Man. You know, it's and it was it was one of those great builds where Suzuki just kept being like, cool, I'm gonna shave the shit out of you, boy. Um, and the match started, and right off the bat, Suzuki. Gets Goto in a hangman sleeper hold on the top of the turnbuckle and puts that boy to sleep. And Goto sells it like death. Eyes rolled back in his head. Drool coming out of his mouth on the mat. Wow. And then it somehow escalated back into just a... I mean, slobber knocker doesn't do it justice. Right. It was brutal. It was brutal. These guys beat the crap out of each other. This, this is what this is the pure definition of a stiff match. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! I mean, between the between the fifty hit combo that Suzuki puts on Goto, the one he just hits him so many times. Um, the head the butts. headbutts. Yeah, the headbutts. I mean, so Goto and and Shibata are are buds, either in storyline or in real life or both. Um, I'm shocked. Like this is here's another one. This is not WWE. If someone had gone out like Shibata did, where he gave himself a, a hematoma or whatever it was from, he caved head, his skull in. He caved his own damn. He didn't cave his own skull in. He fucking he made his brain almost blow up out of his skull from uh, from headbutting Okada too stiff. <laughs> um, and here's Goto basically calling back to the you know Suzuki gives him a headbutt, and then Goto comes at the end of the match and headbutts the shit out of Suzuki. Uh, and then gives him, what is it, the top rope uh, GTR or, or uh, Ushiguroshi yeah. off the top turnbuckle? It was like an avalanche Yoshiguroshi. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, so this I match remember was, texting you when I was watching that. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> really exciting match. Really hard hitting. Like the, the kind of good, just stiff shit that if you, if you looked at New Japan for some stiff matches, this is like one of the ones I would show people. Like, you want to see stiff stuff? Boom. Here you go. But it's also cool because the story was so rewarding for me in this match uh, because at the end, Goto has this great comeback, beats Suzuki, you know, uh, and Suzuki, again, you know, he did the typical evil shit. You're not supposed to have any backup and all his backup came running out and all of Goto's backup came running out. So they kept it one on one. In the end, Goto finally, finally beats him. And uh, Suzuki's backup tries to take him out, out of the ring, up the ramp. And Goto's just standing in the ring with the, with the, with the razor going, where are you going, dude? And a chair. He, he gets a the chair, chair and the, the clippers. Yep. Well, the, the young lions bring in like the, the sheet to put down in the ring, and they put the chair in the middle of the right. ring because it's, it's time to shave someone's head. <laughs> and, uh, and Suzuki Gun is trying to take Minoru out of the place. Yeah. And Minoru, who's just, you know, he's, still, he's still selling like he's woozy. You see him come to, and he kind of like realizes what's going on. He shoves all of his boys off of him, walks back over to the ring, grabs a chair, and you think he's getting in the ring possibly to hit Goto with the chair. Like, he's just so pissed that he lost. But instead, he smacks the other chair out of the way, puts his own chair down, grabs the clippers from Goto, and just without an expression on his face, just shaves his own head. And then just grabs the hair, drops on the seat, eyeballs Goto, and walks away. It was such just a badass moment from this evil, sick son of a bitch but it was such a great, like, just, ah, I don't even know how to put it. Like, it made me feel like I was watching a, a, a Kurosawa movie or like a, just a, a, it was just a great movie. Well, you told me it was like uh, in Japanese lore of, of old school Japanese lore. It's like committing self seppuku. It's, 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 I mean, yeah. it's not, that, it's not that extreme, but it's, you know, the idea of having your head shaved is, is, you know, 
in it's any, the honor in, of it. In any culture, that's going to be demeaning. Yeah. But it's particularly like humiliating, uh, you know, and and demeaning for them. So the idea that he does, he's like, I'm not letting anyone else shave my head. I'll do it my damn self. Yeah. That just builds Suzuki's character so much more as being this guy who's completely insane, sick, sadistic, all the rest. But he has a sense of honor and he is a badass motherfucker. Yep. Period. And I, I loved it. This is this is what I'd been wanting from them all year. And they freaking delivered. I loved this match. I personally loved the ending more than I actually enjoyed the match, but I, I appreciate yeah, you're that. You're telling me the match, the match scared you a little bit. It, it, you know, there's... Oh, oh all right. I want to say this as a little bit of a tease to what we're going to talk about later. There's certain things that happen in New Japan that make me uncomfortable. Mm. And I want to, and I'm, I mean je- that genuinely. The headbutting, what yep. just happened to Shibata. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. Uh, the crossroads off the ring yes. apron that we talked about earlier. That makes me uncomfortable. Literally. It, it just so this I get a little bit squeamish at some of the stuff that goes on. Even though I've watched WWE for thirty years with blading and uh, you know John Cena completely covered in blood and Eddie, all, Eddie Guerrero hitting hitting an artery in his forehead. Right. So I just I want to put that out there that this there were some moments in that match that was so stiff and especially when they got into the trading headbutts and stuff. That's where I started to go. Oh God. Okay. Someone might die. Somebody might die here. <laughs> uh, but more on that later. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll d- discuss more of that stuff and reasons are around New Japan, right? Uh, but first, we have to talk about what I'm going to consider might already, in the first two weeks of January, we might already have a match of the year contender on our hands. Oh, so this was your match of the night right here. Uh, this was the, I guess, you, I don't want to call it a fatal four-way. Do they call it a fatal four-way? It's a four-way match for the junior heavyweight championship between Will Ospreay, Current champion Marty Skrull, Kushida, and Hiromu Takahashi. Our boy Marty Skrull, who had uh, maybe the entrance of the show. Oh. He came up. He came up out of the stage, and then these huge black wings extended out behind him, and he had the crazy like the old uh, the doctor's uh, beak mask, like the yeah. Black Plague mask, and the hat, and his Some usual steampunk getup. kind of stuff. I don't know what. Yeah, that is, like right? the, like the steampunk uh, Black Plague yeah. doctor looking thing, but with the big wings. I mean, apparently, you know, Cody. After the show, tweeted out a picture that he took of um, of 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 Marty in the back hallway of of the Tokyo Dome, like near a stairwell, and he had a he had a green tarp on the ground. And he's just sitting there with these wings on his lap, like putting the feathers together and making sure it works. You know what I mean? Like, and he, but Cody's like, "Yeah, he worked on that all day for you guys." Wow. I mean, that if if I was if Marty wasn't over enough with me as it was, he just got more over because he was he worked that hard. Had that thing built and shipped to Japan so he could have this amazing entrance at Wrestle Kingdom coming up out of the stage and having these wings extend and walk down the entire ramp with these crazy, huge, awesome black wings. All that work for what? For two minutes, basically, of walking maybe, down the ramp. Maybe. Yeah. But but also, that's history. Now, like, yeah. When people do clips of Marty Skrull, that's going to be one of the clips they show. Uh, and, you know... We knew before going into this match, these four guys were going to put on a barn burner. Absolutely. And they did. But, but, but before we get into this match, before we get into this match, Nick, yep. I have to take a moment. Okay. So we have a special guest on the show this week. Uh, I'm actually going to bring him out now. Excuse me. Oh, what, what, I don't understand what's happening <sighs> here. Uh, I'd like did- to introduce you to... Uh, oh, it's Gerald. Yes. Uh, Gerald Katahashi yes. is here. Uh, no relation to Daryl Takahashi. This is a completely different animal. Right. Uh, just looks very similar. I'm going to uh, put him right over here. 
And uh, Gerald can now be part of the show as well. Well, it's interesting you brought Gerald with you today. It's nice to meet you, Gerald. Thank you for joining us here on the podcast. But uh, also, he'd, he'd answer, a, but he's too tranquilo also right now. In a, also in attendance for this match, joining Hiromu Takahashi was, it looked like Daryl, but it was, it was wearing a mask. So we're not really sure who it yes. was. Very similar looking cat, but I did have it on a lucha, a lucha mask. I'm so. not sure if it was a, a superstar from Lucha Underground. It's very hard to tell. I mean, he looks soft and was. squishy in the same way that Daryl does. But, yeah, but definitely it looked like he was more of Latin descent. Yes, yes. Uh, maybe he's maybe he came back from excursion. I don't know. Look, all the hype around the Omega and Jericho stuff, and Okada and Naito finally getting their hands on each other again. Th- this match stole the show for me, hands down. Uh, even what we, we haven't even talked about yet. This was my favorite part of this whole thing, and and I don't know if it's the format of the four guys or if it's the people that were in it, or the spots that happened. The fact it. that it was nonstop action. These four guys killed themselves for, whatever, 20 minutes. They spent more time out of the ring than they did in the ring. I don't know. They spent a lot of time in the ring, too, just <laughs> flying around. They just you know, weren't on the ground. It was crazy. And I love the fact that they, you know, they, there's been sort of a crossover feud between all of these guys for months now. You know, you've, uh, you've got uh, Hiromu Takahashi and Kushida have had a, uh, they've had a feud going on all year. Osprey and uh, Marty have had years worth of feud that Osprey just can't beat Marty Skrull. That was built up for this match yep. where, you know, death taxes and Marty Skrull beats Will Osprey. Um, and then recently you've had a little bit of crossover between those, the, between those two feuds with all the four of them. They've all held the belt this year. So this was have a, they, they've all held the belt. That's this an year. interesting statistic. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. No, they've all held the belt. So this, this was why this was kind of the, the summation of the whole year really huh. was all these guys have held the belt. And they had a bunch of great callbacks to their whole feud right off the bat. Will Ospreay KOs uh, Hiromu like he did a while back where he was trying to challenge Marty Skrull. So this was, you know, this was a whole bunch of great callbacks and a bunch of just monster moves. Of course, Will Ospreay climbs something and jumps off of it. Uh, you had a whole Moon bunch salted of- off of the truss. Yeah. What it right next to the ring. Good God. You had chicken wings everywhere. <laughs> he, had a, he, had a, he caught. A, what was it? I'm trying to remember the move. It, Marty caught someone. I think he caught Will Ospreay. was trying to do an Oz cutter. He caught him in a chicken wing coming off of that. Yes. Uh, there was just sunset power bombs to the outside all over the place. I mean, we could if we were to run down every crazy spot in this match, we'd be here for longer than the match ran. It was just amazing. Tons of action. Yeah. The, if, you, if you watch nothing else, guys, even if you have to go watch it somewhere, like YouTube or something, or highlights of it, whatnot, go watch the match or the whole show if you can, but just you have to check out some of the spots that were in this match. Fingers were broken all over the place. Yep. It was just... Uh, there was one... Hiromu got tied to the, to the railing. That's where I was going yeah. next. So Marty Skrull literally took, like, uh, athletic tape and lashed Hiromu Takahashi <laughs> to... The uh, the barricades to the outside, and then went and broke his. Hear, broke oh, his, it was so good! You broke his fingers it. on his free hand, so he couldn't undo the uh, tape. Oh, and then uh, later on, he got his uh, uh, he got his fingers broken. Went underneath the ring and taped his fingers up. Uh, Marty did, and then he he grabbed some powder from the uh, from the case from the first aid case, hucked it in Kushida's face. 
And then, oh, it, it was, it was yeah. so much that went on in this match. Just it, it, it is absolutely my match of the night, and it's arguably by the time we get to into 2018, it's it's probably going to be one of my still one of my contenders for the match of the year. And it was also great because we, you know, as I said, they had been building the storylines that were that were coming into this match. We knew there was history between all of these guys, but especially between uh, Hiromu and Kushida, and especially between Osprey and Skrull. And of course, the finish came down to Skrull coming in with his umbrella and hitting the shit out of everyone in the ring. And I thought the fix was in when he got that umbrella. Uh, but Osprey dodged it, hits the Oz cutter, and finally gets the monkey off of his back and beats Marty Skrull. Clean. Will Osprey, your new pins clean. him clean. Yep, in the middle of the ring. Will Osprey is now the uh, now the second time in the last couple of months he's the he's the champ. But he beat Marty to do it. Big Wrestle Kingdom moment for him. Uh, what's now? What's interesting is I've heard uh, tell that Osprey wants to move into the heavyweight division. And I don't know if that's a good move for him. I don't either. That was one thing that coming, you know, coming out of this and hearing that, I'm like, man. But I mean, because his thing is, you know, there's really nowhere else for him to go in the junior heavyweight division. He's on the top. He's won the championship a couple times. He was in. It was him and Kushida uh, in the finals of the um, best of Super Juniors uh, earlier this year. Right. So he's he feels like he's done everything he can do the junior heavyweight and he wants to move up, but he's going to have to put on some weight. Cause the dude is, you know, he's a little bit bigger than Zack Sabre jr. But not by much. No, maybe 20 pounds heavier, but it's still got that little lanky athletic kind of body. But I mean, it, the other thing is that the, the, that heavyweight division is pretty crowded right now as well. There's a lot of stuff happening. There's a lot of storyline already in motion. That's probably not going anywhere anytime soon. So how do you insert? Yeah, uh, and you have other a, guys an Osprey are, into there. Yeah, and you have other guys that are ahead of him. You know, like in in terms of getting into the heavyweight division, uh, Beretta is getting into it. Sure. Uh, Juice Robinson is looking like he's going to have a good run. So yeah, I mean, Will Osprey has to be looking at least five years down the road in terms of that. He's got to get more physically looking like uh, Ricochet, I would say, uh, who he's had some of you know all time classic matches against. Right. But uh, Ricochet definitely looks more like a heavyweight, at least in New Japan. We'll see, because he's now going to WWE. Uh, we'll see if he debuts at the Royal Rumble or what happens there. But he, you know, he's not as big as a lot of the guys in WWE. He's bigger than Neville, but not by much. So we'll see what they do with him there. Well, let's move over and talk about the Intercontinental Championship featuring Hiroshi Tanahashi uh, and Switchblade or Jay White. I don't know which to call him anymore. I just call him Switchblade Jay White. Switchblade Jay White. Yeah. All right. Um, this was another one that kind of just went... At this point, coming off the back of that four-way four, four match and knowing that Jericho and Omega and Okada and Naito are next, I really just, I, I honestly fast-forwarded through this one. I just couldn't care And you less. know what? You're, you weren't wrong to. There was a lot that I think went sideways about this match. For one thing, I don't think Jay White was built enough to be on the level of Tanahashi. He wasn't built up enough for this. We didn't have a, a long enough build for this to really matter. Um and it was one of those things where unless Jay White were to beat Tanahashi and they were going to and basically New Japan saying we believe in this kid being a big deal, then it was just kind of a nothing match, uh, especially given the fact that Tanahashi's injured to hell legit right now. So and it was it was kind of a nothing match. Jay White didn't feel like a big deal. Uh, and it was I, I, I personally think it was just his presentation as well as anything else. Like he just didn't have that big feel to him. Um, and you know, Tanahashi tried his best. Uh, I can't really put it at Tanahashi's feet, even though he was working pretty hurt. Uh, it just, you just, this didn't feel like a big deal. This match. So no title change. Tanahashi walks away with it. Tanahashi walked away. Um, you know, I've described Tanahashi as kind of like the John Cena of, right. of new Japan. 
I mean, he's the he's the ace. He's the guy who brought them out of their dark ages. He he was the big money seller. He's still a huge deal over there. He's meat and potatoes. Uh, and so you put your guys against him to see if they can get on the big stage and look as much of a big deal as he is. And I hate to say it, Jay White is a great wrestler. He's got a great look. He's got a great character. He's not on Tanahashi's level yet. And this match just unfortunately proved that. Uh, he had a chance and you know it didn't feel like a big deal. And um, Tanahashi even went on record. You know, people were asking before, it's like, what are you going to do with all these other huge matches around you? Um, you, you know, you're basically the piss break match. Yeah. And he said, well, I'm going to make them piss their pants because they can't leave during my match. Wow. And unfortunately, he was a piss break match. Unf- unfortunate, to say the least. Yeah. All right. It's time. Co-main, oh. co-main event time. Which one do you want to do first? I don't know. Let me ask. Gerald, what do you want to do first? Gerald says, uh, Gerald says, let's go in order and do Jericho Omega. Okay. Alpha versus Omega. Uh, again, entrances. Funny enough, it wasn't Jericho's, and I'm, I'm sure it's WWE copyright, whatever. Jericho came out to his hit song from Fozzie. That makes sense. Judas. Yeah. So, you know, it, it sounded great in the Tokyo Dome. It's fine. You he'll, know. he'll take those uh, those rights, the licensing uh, fees for that. Sure, absolutely. You know? That's on. a good point. Come on. But he did have his uh, his old WWE jacket on, the light-up jacket. Yes. Brought back the light-up jacket. And it looked different and more lit up, and it looked better than well, the it's previous Well, it's obviously not the one that Dean Ambrose broke, the $15,000 right. one, because right. Dean <clears> still <throat> owes him $15,000, right. as we all know. Uh, but... Here's okay, but then Kenny Omega comes out. I think is where you're going with this. Yes. He came out looking like a character from uh, Destiny. From Destiny, uh, it was Osiris is the name of the character uh, that he, which is the new expansion that they just launched from uh, for Destiny. It's, you know, I, I know that stuff because I play the game. Uh, and the gun he was carrying is called the Vigilance Wing. Whatever. Oh my god! Right. So <laughs> gamer nerd, right here. Anyway, um, I noticed that in the notes here, you put the first bullet was, did this live up to the hype? That's the first question. And I'm going to come out with an emphatic, absolutely, it did. I would have to agree. Um, right, and, and let me be clear, right out of the gate, they wasted no time. And nope. you had Red Shoes as a ref, which made this twice as more fun than it than it had any right to be. But immediately, Jericho comes over very heelishly, starts you know beating up Omega, Somehow ends up over in the commentator's booth, and before you can blink, Kenny Omega is flying over the top ropes, over the barricades, and crashing through the commentary table. Yeah, with the commentators swearing, which I've never heard any more more, more swearing on a wrestling promotion. Yeah, no, that's, wow, that's what you get in New Japan. It's not for kids over there. And then they spent the next felt like twenty minutes outside the rope, Jericho beating up the the young lions and everybody. They have table spots. Commentators going off the air completely because they hitting trashed Ken, their whole area. They trashed the whole area. Kenny, Kenny taking a <laughs> monitor to the crotch. I mean, this was, yeah, it was a brawl. And this is the thing. This is the kind of match it needed to be. Jericho's 47. Yeah. He's not going to be able to work the kind of match that, that Kenny Omega has been working with people like Okada yeah. or Ishii or anything like that. Uh, people who have really only watched some of Kenny's matches were saying this was not a good Kenny Omega match, to which I say this... This was Kenny Omega playing to Jericho's strengths. This was and not a Kenny Omega match. This was about Jericho more Bingo. than it was about Kenny Omega. This was uh, Kenny Omega had a great match 
and Jericho had a great match, but this is not this is not one I would show people to introduce them to Kenny Omega. This is one that I would say would be a good one to introduce people to New Japan as a whole. Yeah, you know what I mean. This was this was Jericho basically saying, "Look, I, here's here's me as the most heelish I could possibly be," and Jericho has actually become somewhat of a legend for always just reinventing himself. And here he's re- reinventing himself again as being scary heel Jericho over in new Japan. And that lends itself to this more brawling uh, spread outside the ring kind of style, hard hitting. He brought back the lion tamer a couple times, which only certain people can take because it, it hurt. It'll hurt you. Uh, th- this was a great match. It was long. It was about 37 minutes long. So it was a long match. I thought it might have gone about five minutes too long, but there was a lot of just cool little moments, cool spots in it. Um, I I definitely think that this, if this was your first introduction to New Japan and you're just watching Jericho to watch Jericho, you probably were shocked at how crazy Jericho got in this match. Yep. At beating up Red Shoes, beating up his son. Beating up Red Shoes' son. He beat up his kid. <laughs> right in front of him. Oh. What a heel. Uh, look, this was pure entertainment. This was pure sports entertainment. There weren't really any stakes. I have some theories that we'll talk about over on the WWE side of the world maybe later on here if we've got time, but um, I, I think there could be some surprises coming up very soon, but there's a lot of people that would go, there's no way in hell that's happening. And, uh, I might be one of them. Yeah, you might be one of them. So uh, this was fun. This was absolutely fun. It was 30 minutes of just... Two dudes beating the shit out of each other. Yeah, but there was also some some cool wrestling moves as well. Jericho can still do a freaking lion salt. Um, and and honestly, like props to Jericho for still having the stamina to do thirty seven minutes. You know, like he wasn't he wasn't doing the junior heavyweight style or anything, but it was still like that's not easy to freaking do. Yeah. Uh, and they got they were very creative. They found a bunch of great things to do. I thought the build for this was fantastic. They built a lot in not a lot of time. They they kind of started sowing the seeds back, God, early summer, late spring last year with uh, with a little Twitter war between them. They were sowing the seeds a long, long time ago for this. Huh. Uh, but they really, I mean, you know, they were in first gear up until like what less than a month ago, and then they kicked it in. They, they boom, Jericho shows up in New Japan, beats up Kenny Omega, and then it was on. Yeah. But it built so quickly. Uh, and it became such a big deal so fast. Yeah, th- and it paid off beautifully. Uh, you know, th- I thought this was a great way to give Jericho another big match, going to give a new look to him, bring more people to New Japan who might not otherwise have, have watched New Japan. Uh, it was good for Kenny Omega because he got to go over Jericho. Um, obviously, he won at the end. with. He, I, loved, I loved how they teased the one-wing angel. You know, that's it's it's his move that no one's ever kicked out of. Yep. He hits it on Jericho and Jericho does the Okada where he grabs the rope the last second. So he doesn't kick out of it, but he doesn't lose. Right. But then also Jericho is now the first guy to ever take a one winged angel on chairs. So which obviously easy one, two, three right there. The amount of trust that that move onto a chair must take. Jesus. I, I just I want to call some special props to that. Well, that's you know we were saying like yeah, Kenny, some of those I'm fifty years old. Go ahead and drop me on oh, my, my head, head onto a chair. I mean, it is a movie. It is a move where Kenny has to protect you coming down. Like he's got he's got you by the back of the neck. He's cradling. He's pulling you in. So you hit on your shoulders, but it's still you have to do it so perfectly. Right. Same with like same with Beretta's Dude Buster, where it's sure. just like it can go so or the that like we said that crossroads on the outside. You do just a little bit wrong, someone's going to get paralyzed. Uh, and so yeah, no, it's and you do it to a forty-seven year old. 
Man, he has a, and a 47-year-old in as amazing shape as Jericho is, yes. that being said. Yeah. But yeah, no, this, this match absolutely lived up to the hype. Definitely worth a watch. Uh, I mean, just for the entertainment factor. You know, like there's some matches you, you watch in New Japan for the wrestling, for the, for the madness. This was for all of the above. This, yes. had, this had a little bit of everything for everybody. All right. This is the one we've been waiting for yeah, since, you know, since the G1 wrapped in August. Oof. August, middle of August. It was four months now. We've been five, almost five months now. We've been building we've to known, Okada versus Naito. We've known this was going to be the match. There's been a couple of you know bumps along the way with both of them having to defend. Uh, Naito having to defend his briefcase. Okada having to defend his title. But we were pretty sure this was going to, where we were going to end up at. Actually, let me do something. And for those of you that watch this, you'll appreciate this. I'm going to let you talk about the match, and I'm just going to sit over here and scream, Naito! Oh, please, God, don't. For we the next enough. 20 minutes. <laughs> We had enough of that in the damn match. Oh. Yeah, there's the, the Naito chick in the audience who just wouldn't. Where was Minoru Suzuki when you needed him? Oh, can you imagine him <laughs> taking a chair on the audience? <laughs> and I even, we up? even watched the Ibushi match earlier, and it was Ibushi! Yeah, right? Oh, God. Make it stop. Anyway, <laughs> little aside there. Uh, okay. For the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, Tetsuya Naito versus Kazuchika Okada. Kazuchika Okada. Oh, yeah, and this Three? is uh this is the third. I think it's the third. Yeah, I got to go back and I got to check my notes real quick. I think it's 3 or 4. Uh but it's so here's the thing. It's not even I mean obviously we've known this is going to be the match since the G1 pretty much. Right. But this is something that's 4 years in the making. This is a 4-year-old storyline more or less, you Tell know, us between why. between Tetsuya Naito his the first time that he fought uh, Okada and the fans voted them out of the main event. And, you know, at the time, uh, Naito was doing this whole uh, Stardust Genius angle. Like, that, that he, was, he was kind of a uh, crowd-pleasing, you know, like face kind of guy. So after that, you know, legitimately was, was hurt by the fans' reaction to him, the fact that they just didn't, they just didn't get him, huh. right? He goes on excursion, goes to uh, Mexico, and comes back with this, uh, joins Los Ingobernables and brings Inger, the, the LIJ back to Japan. And he has this whole new attitude where he doesn't give two shits about the fans. He doesn't give two shits about anything. He's tranquilo, right? Does, yep. Nothing matters anymore. Yep. Nothing matters. I don't care. And so this has been this long redemption story of him going through, going through being a heel and a pretty serious heel too, uh, all the way back to fan acceptance. And now... Coming into this match, fans genuinely being excited for him to have his match against Okada and possibly finally take this title and have it mean something. And it's been you know a long stretch where Naito didn't care about anything else but this. I think we mentioned this on the on the preview show. You know he had the Intercontinental Championship earlier this year, right? And he shit all over it. He literally destroyed it. You know he was trying to pay for 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 food with it because he didn't care about it. He was throwing it downstairs. Right when he right when he got it, he just tossed it over his shoulder like Luke in the new Star Wars movie. Right, like it was you know he didn't care. And finally, uh, Tanahashi took it off of him and is trying to restore it to glory, which is a great other storyline as well. But uh, so and even when he won the G one, as soon as he got his hands on the trophy, he pretended like he was going to throw it into the audience. The whole crowd gasped. They're like, "No, no, don't do it!" He's like, "I'm just kidding. I actually this is kind of cool." But yeah, so this is a is a long build for this, and I'm grossly simplifying it, but. That's basically the idea. Coming into this match, the redemption story of Tetsuya Naito finally coming to a climax. He finally comes back and does get the main event against Okada, and he can come in and finally 
be the man, yeah. be the dude. And at this point coming into this, Okada is, he's got all the damn records. He has the longest combined reigns uh, of, of any IWGP heavyweight championship in New Japan. And this current reign is the longest reign in history of any champion, uh, any heavyweight champion in New Japan. So he's got all of the records coming into this. And this was, I thought, so now this is the thing. We were spoiled for good matches in New Japan this year. Yes, we were. Spoiled. There was, I mean, whether you look at Meltzer, whether you look at anybody who who watches wrestling on a consistent basis and reviews it and rates it, everyone will tell you that this year, New Japan had more good matches than any other promotion. And not only that, the the good matches that they had were some of the best matches, arguably, of all time. Like some of the matches this year were just insane. Yeah. So this match had a lot to live up to. And unfortunately, I don't think it quite got to the level of some of those matches from earlier in this year, Okada Shibata or uh, Naito Omega, uh, or even any of, of course, the Omega Okadas, right. all three of those. Um, or even I would say this was, this was more on the level of, I would say like a uh, Omega Ishii from the from the Long Beach show, yeah, which I thought was a great entertaining match, but wasn't like burn down the world kind of. This was a this this match between Okada and Naito was very good, and it told a very cool story. Uh, and before I get to the finish and what happened there, I do want to say that it was interesting that Naito kept trying to hit his old Stardust genius moves. Like there was still that part of him that kind of cared about the fans. And I thought that was them trying to subtly tell us something that Naito hasn't fully let go of that yet. Um, and obviously Okada just being Okada and being amazing and you can't put him down. Right. Kind of thing. Uh, trading off finish. Both of them kicking out of each other's finishers and then Naito getting greedy, going for two Destinos, having the second one countered and Okada hitting the second Rainmaker, knocking Naito almost out of his boots. Boom, one, two, three. Naito loses. I didn't see this coming. Nobody saw this coming. I thought this was going to be the time. Because he's got the records. Let's let's move on. The big build for Naito all the way through the year. Red hot. Yeah. Naito's red hot. Naito! Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to do that randomly here and there. Just warning you. Oh, good. And you listeners. Randomly stab myself in the ears. (laughs) Uh, No, this was crazy. This was actually the biggest swerve of the whole show. And this this has been dividing people ever since Wrestle Kingdom. When we did our our last show and I said, oh my God, I've got big news, but I can't talk about it. This is the big news. Okada over Naito. This is huge because this this draws so much into question. Uh, If this was WWE... And Okada had had the reign that he had, and Naito came along and lost to him. We'd be losing our minds right now. We'd be like, "This is bullshit." You, you, Okada's had his time. It's Naito's time. They're losing money on this. What are they doing? And the only reason that more people aren't doing that is because they trust the booking of New Japan more, and that Gato knows what he's doing and he's got a plan for this. That there is something else that, that again, the fact that they were teasing all the Stardust Genius stuff makes me think that they're trying to tell us something else about Naito. Like he still wasn't ready. There's still something else that he needs to do to be ready for that spot. Um, and that they want to, they're, they're going somewhere with Okada. You know what I mean? Like he's mm. got to have another level to his character before he can be beaten. He's at the point now where he's basically God and you can't beat this guy right now. He's just too good. Uh, the only way Omega beat him back in the G1 was because Okada's neck was all messed up, yeah, right? I remember um, that. And, and Evil was a fluke, right? Yep. He came back and he couldn't beat him again for the championship later in back in October. So at this point, 
I think you know they're they're obviously they're they're going somewhere with this, but it's it's not wrong for people to wonder why they didn't put the belt on Naito here because it definitely seemed like it was his time. My question, my follow-up to all of that that you just said was, do you think that it's still going to be Naito? He just has some more hurdles to cross, or do you think they're thinking somebody different like an Omega, or they're going to take the year to uh, build up uh, Trent Beretta? You know, it, <laughs> I think Beretta's at this point so far out of the title picture. Like, it's one of those things where people are definitely going, "Well, who, how the hell are they going to have Okada get beaten now?" You know what I mean? Like Kenny Omega is pretty much the only person you can look at and say, "Well, maybe him," or maybe you know Naito does it later uh, this year because he's got to work out something else with himself uh, and figure out what his problem was with this match because it definitely seemed like he wasn't quite psychologically ready for Okada. And this is like the subtle st- the, sh- the subtle stuff that, o- that New Japan does. Well, where- there's the whole opening of the match, if you remember. it, They spent about five minutes of Naito just, oh, no, I'm, I'm not ready. And he, well, would, he would fall back. That's his tranquilo thing, too. And yeah. I understand. I understand. <laughs> but to me, I read into that a little bit, too, as to in line with what you're saying, where maybe it he just wasn't ready yet. Sure. and Or maybe he was trying to psych out Okada, and it didn't work. You know what I mean? Sure. Whatever it was, like Okada just mentally was was more there than Naito was. Sure. Um, and the the upside of New Japan having its product be more sports based than entertainment based is that you can look at these matches and these guys tell their stories with their bodies and with their actions much more than they do in WWE, where it's very telegraphed what the story is, and you can read into the subtleties of these matches what they're trying to portray with these characters more through their like their their subtle their subtle physical movements as opposed to big you know shouted statements on a microphone um and you saw that with how Okada eventually overcame Tanahashi back in the day and how they built Okada uh, up from being another you know upper mid carter to being the new ace the new top guy and they took took him years. It took them years to get Okada to where he is now. And there was a lot of psychological stuff between how he even like how he faced Tanahashi, um, the moves he decided to use when he decided to use them, having to um, get beaten by a move and then come back later with a counter for that move, right? Um, and having to figure out like basically having no holes in his game. And it seems like what they're telling us here is there's still a hole in Naito's game. He's still holding on to something. To me, this says more about Okada and their plans for him. Like they're they're not going to take that belt off of him anytime soon. I would imagine not. They they can't. They just spent an entire year plus building up Naito yeah. to get to the this match, and they didn't take it off. Right. They didn't put it on him. Okay. Well, it's going to be Okada then for another couple of years. Probably. And I'll, but, well, I don't know about a couple of years, but I'll tell you what. I, it certainly makes every championship match he has going forward interesting to watch. Yeah. Um. We. We kind of have an idea of who's, who's going to face next, and I can't, I can't say I'm that excited about that one, but they're also not planning that for one of their big shows, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, that's that's the big news. Naito Okada loses. over Naito yeah. for, uh, for the uh, heavyweight wow. championship. And it was, it was a hell of a match. Uh, like I said, not I wouldn't say top 10 of the year, but I mean, considering that, that in that top 10, you have some of the best matches of all time. Like 
it's still a damn good match, and it was overall. Uh, I don't know what you thought. I thought it was overall a damn solid show. Uh, fantastic. Um, well, to, with some asterisks, which we'll talk about here in a second. Uh, real quick, let's talk about uh, Fallout and New Year's Dash. What else went down on on these shows? Yeah, so a little bit of the stuff that happened afterwards. Obviously, some feuds are going to be ended here. Jay White and Tanahashi no longer feuding. Uh, Jay White. So Kenny Omega came, uh, came out because there was a match. Kota Ibushi and uh, Cody got back into it at the end of the match. Cody trying to beat the crap out of uh, Kota Ibushi. Kenny runs out to stop it. Uh, he and Cody get into it, and they get separated. And Kenny says, "Look, look, look, look! Bullet Club, we're falling apart. We gotta, we gotta, you know, we gotta bring ourselves back together. I'm gonna bring out a new member that's gonna help us, become, you know, get back to our former glory." And he brings out Jay White, Switchblade Jay White, and gives him a Bullet Club shirt and says, "Here's our new member of Bullet Club." And Jay White puts the shirt on, looks over at Kenny, and gives him a Blade Runner. KOs him in the middle of the ring, takes off the shirt, throws it down, and the next day joins Chaos. So it looks like we're going to have a Jay White and Kenny Omega feud going forward, which I think will be good for Jay White. I think Kenny will get a good match out of him. Oh, I like that. Um, And the fact that I think it's very telling that Jay White joined Chaos, which is Kazuchika Okada's faction. Uh, You know, it's one of those things where it means the Bullet Club and Chaos could start feuding in general. Uh, Kenny would then have a clear line to Okada. I, again, speculating, you never know what they're going to do with, with Gato's booking. That's one of the great things about it, but there definitely could be something there. Um, in other news, Jericho stuck around and attacked Tetsuya Naito. It looks like we're going to have a Naito-Jericho feud, which is also I'm excited for as well. I think that's going to be a great feud. Wait, he's sticking around? He, he didn't just come over for a... Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, one-time thing. Oh, he, he, he said he wasn't. He said, I'm only going to have one match with Kenny. Uh, huh. Although, you know, he said, I'm going ha- to beat Kenny and then move on. But anyway, he lost to Kenny, and now he's going after Naito. And he, Naito's a little down and out, so Jericho's going to go kick him while he's down. Hey, okay. Uh, is this, I'm more concerned about what this does for Naito. Coming off of a championship loss, and now you're going to go I think that's do good a, for him. Do a goofy match with Jericho? Oh, it's not going to be goofy. Oh, I understand. It's but it, there's no stakes. Uh, well, there wasn't any stakes necessarily. I mean, I guess the U.S. Championship was on the line with Kenny Omega and Jericho, but I think it's one of those things where, depending on how Jericho, I mean, it's going to be more character based. How Jericho and Naito interact, and so far it has been very character based with with Naito just you know trying his best to ignore Jericho, tranquilo. You know, being tranquilo and putting the chair down the ring and just turning his back to him. You know, so it's. I'm curious where they go with it. I think it's going to make for some some really. Uh, it's going to be a good feud. I'll put it that way. I think it's actually whether or not it raised. I don't think Naito's stock could be raised any higher at this point. You know, unless he'd beaten Okada. So I think it's good for Jericho. I think it establishes him more. It keeps him in the pseudo main event picture. Yeah. I think that uh, he's a big enough deal that it makes Naito look good to feud with him and you know, go over him if that's what they do. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's that's going to be a really fun one. And also, hey, man, I just like seeing Jericho out there having a good time. Yeah, me too. Hey, beating up young lions and, you know, whatever, <laughs> and red shoes and his kid and whatever, you know. Throwing chairs at people and brawling downstairs. And, oh, yeah, it was it's hey, fun. Speaking of the championship outcome, uh, you mentioned something earlier, and I wanted to – apparently it's come out that Sonata is now looking to potentially challenge Okada. He, yeah, he kind of – Is this baked in realism? He th- yeah, on New Year Dash, he, like, he looks like he's going to be challenging Okada. Huh? So okay. I, don't, I don't know if he's officially challenged him yet or not, but I, it looks like he's going to be the guy who challenges Okada, which to me – uh, it's a step down for Okada. It's a big step up for Sonata. Um, I personally think that Sonata had kind of a lackluster year. It wasn't bad. 
that wasn't great. Um, but again, like I said, the, the pool of people who could realistically face Okada right now is somewhat small. Um, this could be a big step up for Sonata. And I think this, they're going to be testing him to see if he can be in the main event. So, mm. you know, good luck to him. Well, overall feelings in let's let's kind of close the close the recap out here. What are your overall thoughts and feelings on Wrestle Kingdom 12? Did it live up to the hype that you expected? Did it deliver everything you wanted it to from, you know, everything we saw through, especially the second half of the year coming off the back of the G1 with everything that was set in motion? Did Wrestle Kingdom put it all out there for you? Well, here's the thing. I think that given like I said, I've said a few times before on the show. New Japan had some absolutely outstanding single matches this year. Right. I don't know. I'm trying to think back if any other show was as top to bottom solid as this show. There was definitely other shows that had better individual matches. Dominion comes to my mind as having a bunch of fantastic matches. Okay. Uh, the G1 might have been the best G1 of all time but, this yeah. year. Um, and, you know... Th- Again, like I could look last year's Wrestle Kingdom was monstrously good and might he might be better than this one. I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch it again or like refresh myself on it. But uh, top to bottom, this was a fantastic show. Um, like I said, no individual match is going to get like match of the year honors from me. But that's a I mean, that's not taking away from how good top to bottom and how entertaining this show was overall. I have some different views. And this is one of the things that I wanted to I wanted to wait and talk to you with you and share this conversation with the listeners because I think this is this is an interesting dynamic conversation to have for somebody that like myself and full disclosure I'm potentially going to kill some of my wrestling street cred out there but I think it's pretty known that I have not been a big avid watcher of New Japan ever I've known of Kenny Omega. I know of Bullet Club. I know of the lore behind the Balor Club and the good, uh, you know, uh, Gals and Anderson and all that. I know a lot of that stuff that most pop culture people in the know of wrestling know about that stuff. I know that. But I've never been a watcher of New Japan. And as I've said multiple times uh, in the last few months, Wrestle Kingdom was, especially coming off of how hyped I was watching the G1. You know, frankly, you kind of elbowed me into watching a lot of that stuff this summer, and I was pleasantly surprised with with the outcome of it. So I was really hyped off of that. Wasn't really invested in any of the stories or any of that kind of stuff yet, but I wanted to make, okay, new year, new me, whatever, Wrestle Kingdom, I'm going to get into New Japan. And I got to say, I didn't have a good time. A few reasons why. Uh, like you said, individual matches, certain things, yes. And I think it had to do with the level of investment and my familiarity with them so that I had some kind of emotional investment and appreciation into the enjoyment of the of what I was being presented. But half of the card that was on here, I just, I really, I, 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 I don't want to say I couldn't care less, but I wasn't invested in. Sure. And it was hard for me. I found myself fast-forwarding through stuff that I didn't care about to get to the things that I did care about. And I had to consume the things that I did care about, even those in two sittings, because they were just so long uh, that it was. It, I didn't get to watch Okada and Naito the first time I sat down and watched it because I had already spent three hours watching the other three or four matches that I was. This is what I want to talk about, and it, it really comes down to how do you get people as fantastic... I fully admit, these are fantastic sports entertainers. These superstars are amazing, and I 
I just I can't get invested yet. I'm trying to. I want to, but I'm not there yet to be able to sit down and watch a, a six hour pay per view for a completely different promotion. Sure, and that's and that's completely fair, especially because. You know, New Japan, the style of the promotion is very different from what Western audiences are more used to. WWE tends to work a faster paced style. They work a uh, a shorter ring, shorter, shorter match style. Um, so a lot of the times you'll get seven to 10 minute matches, 15 minute matches. Whereas New Japan, you're looking for the most part at, uh, you know, 17 to 20 and sometimes upwards of 30 to 40 yeah. for some of the bigger matches. Um, there's a lot more build in New Japan matches. The first five to ten minutes are very a very slow build, and then it goes nuts in the last half. But you have to get through that first part to understand, you know, that the, their story here. Um, and in addition, as far as the characters, they aren't as clearly defined as they are in WWE. You can't see someone come out and immediately go, "Ah, I know who that person is." Right. You kind of can with some people. Like, I'm sorry, Tomohiro Ishii walks out to the ring. You know what you got. Yeah. Um, but then there's some guys, you're, a lot of guys just kind of are there and they don't do the same kind of, uh, over the top, you know, kind of trying to lead you in the way that WWE does, where they, they almost cartoonishly explain the plot to you. Um, it is a little bit more obtuse. It's hard, It is harder to get into completely understand that it's one of those things where you have to have a certain level of time and investment in order to get more out of it. And I appreciate that. I want to be clear about that. And yeah. It's something I'm going to work through. Sure. Yeah. And it's and again, it's one of those things where I, I completely understand how someone could just sit down totally cold on this promotion and not get into it at all. Be like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be looking for. I don't know who I'm supposed, who I'm supposed to be rooting for. What what's What's going on here? A lot of names I can't pronounce. Right. Um, <laughs> and it's... And and it's it is it's it is a it is a big hill to climb, but I do argue that it is very rewarding. Um, I definitely had a uphill battle at first getting into New Japan because there's so much history. They don't spend a lot of time explaining the history, and a lot of the history is very subtle, and a lot of it crosses over. It's not straightforward, um, and so it it takes a while to get a, to get that uh, basis of information in your head, and sure. then. And then use that to move forward. And there's the times where, you know, there are just matches that eh, underperform. They aren't as good. And then you're like, why did I just spend 20 minutes watching that? Well, what would you say to so? Well, let me put it this way. When we we watched two or three of the matches that I didn't particularly pay attention to and or enjoy uh, today before we started recording, and I did that with you, and you were there um, in a sort of complimentary commentary way, explaining to me why certain things matter. Who's this guy? Why is he why is he carrying a football? 180 degree different experience. So for those of you out there that might have a friend that's into New Japan, I would recommend doing that because me sitting down with my Diet Coke and my popcorn to sit down and watch the pay-per-view by myself, uh, you know, whenever that one reaction happens. Sitting sure. down with you and having a sandwich and you explaining things to me in that respect it just completely different experience. I mean, there's, and again, I don't want to get too pretentious about this, but, it, but I'm going to, uh, there, there's a couple of metaphors that I could use for the difference between Western wrestling and Japanese wrestling. Uh, one of them is that it's kind of like the difference between hamburgers and sushi, you know, WWE is a hamburger. And if you, when the hamburgers are, when hamburgers are good, it's some of the best food you can eat, man. It's good. A good cheeseburger. Good God almighty. Yep. Um, a lot of times it can be fast food though. You know, 
Um, and and New Japan, I would say, and and nothing to do with racial. I just love sushi, and I, and I think it, it makes an apt uh, comparison metaphor. Uh, New Japan is like sushi. It's uh, if you've never had sushi before, it can be a little bit daunting to get into. Some people are going to just immediately glom onto it and get it and be like, "Oh, I I love this." Yeah. Some people are going to be like, "What is this? Why? What am I supposed to do? Wait, huh? Chopsticks? What? Chopsticks? Um, it's raw fish. That's kind of weird." Uh, I'm eating egg babies. And what is you, that? Well, and if you go into it with, like you said, without someone kind of leading you along, right? Um, and this, and you could say the same thing with burgers. Like you know, someone come, like we've we've made a joke about this on the show. Someone comes in out of nowhere, having never watched wrestling, and you show them Woken Matt Hardy. They're they're gonna turn it right off. And be like, what the hell are you doing watching this stuff? I don't get it at all. Yeah, it's the same thing with New Japan, but possibly a little bit more so. Where if you walk into a sushi restaurant and are just like, uh, I don't know, uh, give me something, and the first thing you get is uni, like sea urchin or or fish roe, fish eggs. You're gonna be like, um, screw this, I'm out. Yeah. But if you have someone who can kind of lead you in and be like, you know, maybe maybe try. Maybe try the tuna first. A little spicy like, tuna first. Yeah, yeah. right. Going to yeah. lead you in. Get a California you, roll. <laughs> and you still have to be open for it because yeah. I mean, there's some people who will never like sushi. Right. There are some people who you can just give up on when it comes to sushi. And they can still be wonderful people. They're just never going to like sushi, yeah. right? Um, but you never know until you try. And that's I have a I have that kind of feeling with everything. Uh, video games. You brought up video games earlier, right? I'm a huge fan of the Dark Souls series. Dark Souls, Bloodborne. You're a special breed, sir. I well, I'm a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. uh, but there are some people who like. Sadist is the word I would use. But uh, go but for the, it. Those that's a series that you know. If you just go in, if you just jump in feet first, you're probably going to get your ass kicked. And most people don't like it. In fact, they they built the uh, the Bloodborne game. He, the creator built it so that people who came in, if they couldn't beat the first boss. They would just, he's like, if you can't be this boss, you can't play this game. Right. <laughs> like learn, this boss is here to teach you. Either you learn by playing this boss or just, just don't play. Don't play my game. If you can't enjoy this, you can't get through this, then you can't play this game. It's kind of like that where, you know, there's, there is definitely a wall of, of comprehension. There's a wall of uh, ability to enjoy New Japan. I love the sushi analogy um, because that that really the the sentiments really line up there. The other thing I wanted to throw out here um, is keeping it in the sports realm was it's kind of like why Formula One isn't more popular in the states than it is around I don't know the rest of the entire freaking world <laughs> that worships Formula One right or racing. rugby or soccer yeah right exactly look at the World Cup and and football around the rest of the world versus soccer. Here in the U.S., we get excited once every four years when the World Cup happens. If we're in the World Cup, if which we're, we're not this year, exactly. So nobody's going to care. No one's going to care. The other thing I'll throw out there is, is uh, uh, WRC, which is rally racing, world rally racing in Europe and especially Scandinavia, uh, India, Australia, etc. It's massive, right? There's all kinds. It's off-road courses, racing, high-speed racing. It's huge over there, but has never, ever made it. Even as popular as things like NASCAR and things like that are, motorsport is over here. You'd think something like that. And it's just going to take different people. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to take... Here's the thing. You have to work to get into the stuff if you haven't been raised on it. Um, it's going to take a personal effort. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's not something that you can just sit down and immediately be like... Well, you might be. I mean, you might... And there's some people who were going to sit down, who in America would sit down and watch rally racing and be like, oh, this is great. This is awesome. 
Um, but for the most part, you're going to have to have someone be like, this is this person. This is this person. This is why you should care about this car. This is why this car is cool. This is why this track is tough. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't know a damn thing about rally racing. That's just off the top of my head. I w- that's what I would want if someone was trying to get me into it. Like, why should I care about this? Um, same theory. Same theory with freaking anything. And especially with something that is not built for accessibility. WWE is built to be more accessible. They're trying to get as many damn fans as they want. They're not content with just being what they are. They want to be that thing that is growing and getting more international. And New Japan is trying to, they're dipping their toe into that to some extent. They are definitely, the the Jericho Omega match, they were definitely trying to attract more Western audiences. Yeah. But I feel like they are not going to compromise what they essentially fundamentally are in order to capture those, those international eyeballs. They're going to be like, look, We'll give you some stuff that you might understand or people you might recognize, but we're still going to be what we are. Yeah. Something um, stands out for me out of the, again, I'll, I'll probably quote this a lot this year, the 30 for 30 Ric Flair documentary that we saw recently. Uh, he said that once Vince figured out to uh, hone in on the kids mm-hmm. and that had to be Saturday morning cartoons, superheroes sort of attitude, it was off to the races. Sure. And nobody could keep up because once he figured that out, it's it's been that way ever since, and that's how WWE was born. Kind of the death of kayfabe, I think they call it at that point. Well, as well. Once, he, once he started using sports entertainment, right. yeah. And that's the thing is that, you know, it's they're definitely much more sports entertainment oriented because they're trying to grab as big of a market share as possible and sell toys and action figures and, you know, get the kids invested in it because that's a growth market. Yep. Uh, New Japan, as we've said before, is pretty much not for kids if you look at the audience of new japan if you look out in the massive by the way sellout crowd in the tokyo Dome, yeah you've got grown men and tons of grown women too like there's i i have to look at the actual uh, statistics but i think that new japan has at least 50 percent women in its audience if not more it's a huge i mean they had one of their announcers was uh was a woman the the jap the japanese language announcers for the show was 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 female um, which is something you've never seen in WWE is a, is a female announcer, right? Uh, except for Lita on the the May Young, and that was like a big deal, and she wasn't very good. <laughs> but the point is, wasn't very good is putting it nicely. Well, I'm I'm a nice guy. <laughs> My point is, is that Japan attracts a very different crowd to its promotion, and that's who they're gunning for in Japan. Uh, and so they don't see any reason to change that. They're not going to be gunning for the kids here in the States. Right. Now, individual wrestlers might. You've got the Young Bucks selling their shirts at Hot Topic. But New Japan, as a promotion, they're not looking at their, their stuff as being Saturday morning cartoon stuff. So that right there is going to be a big difference between them and WWE. And that's going to be an adjustment that you have to make. That you're, This is not going to be spoon-fed to you the way that WWE is going to, is going to you know, just kind of spoon feed their their product to you uh, for better or for worse again you know hamburgers and sushi you know the more i think about that analogy the more perfect it really is you know <laughs> makes all, me hungry all racial overtones aside oh, please stop. don't hope that nobody <laughs> takes it that <laughs> Come way on. but imagine me for the first time going into a sushi restaurant just by yourself and they're like yeah just surprise me and it's uni and you're from Ro. south carolina i can imagine the first time you we went to a sushi restaurant someone gave you fish row and you- it was fried catfish <laughs> we call it a fish fry you know, sushi. You get, give me some shrimp scampi in a in a some fried salt and pepper catfish. That's not sushi, Dan. That's it. that's southern sushi. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's it's only real sushi if we go out and we uh, we gig for it or the catfish ourselves out of the mud holes. Anyway, 
get into a lot of that. Ian, uh, this has been a great show. This has been very educational for me personally. I hope it has for you listeners as well that maybe aren't into New Japan that much. And, and I love that conversation and those analogies. Off the back of Wrestle Kingdom, and we've got a lot of outcomes from this, what are the big shows that are coming up here? I mean, let's just go through the first quarter of 2018. What are we looking at? Yeah, New Japan has a bit of a different schedule than what you expect from WWE. Their shows aren't like as regular, per se, and yeah. they're, they don't have Raw and SmackDown every week. They have what they call Road 2 shows, and they have a bunch of little shows in the middle. Most of the time, they don't really have big matches, or, or they'll be lower in the card singles matches. Most of the time, it's tag matches. Most of the time, it's they're, they're on tour showing off their wrestlers. Yep. And you get a little bit of build to the bigger matches and some storylines told in the ring in those matches, but they're not as essential. So starting at the end of January, we have New Beginning Sapporo, and then February 10th, we've got the New Beginning Osaka. Uh, so those are the, that's the next really kind of big ones. After that, it's the New Japan Cup Tournament, March 9th to 21st. And then they're coming to Long Beach. They're going to come out here, and you know me and Nick are going to try and get tickets to this. Strong, yes, strong Style Evolved, March 25th, down at the Pyramid in Long Beach. Oh, man. Can't wait for that. Uh, I am going to guess a Jericho appearance here in the U.S. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing it right now. Um, and then the, we get some of the big, big, big shows. Sakura Genesis, it will be April 1st. Wrestling Dontaku, May 3rd. The Best of the Super Juniors Tournament in May, which I can't wait for this year. And then Dominion, yes. June 9th in Osaka Joe Hall. Yes. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a long build through spring to get some big ones in late spring. Uh, it's, you know, the way they're going right now, they're hitting on all cylinders. If 2017 was any indication, 2018 should be monstrous for New Japan. Wow. Well, I mean, even just the first half of this year, building to the G1 tournament later this year is yeah, going right? to be... Oh, the G1. <laughs> I got to catch up on my sleep now. I got to catch up on my sleep to make, to make it through that one. Well, there you go, guys. That's our show on Wrestle Kingdom 12. We hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. I learned a lot. Thank you, Ian, for kind of carrying us, uh, shepherding us through the uh, the New Japan <laughs> I and I, I, I barely know enough. You know what I mean? Like, oh, come so on. Much You're to selling know. yourself short. I, no, I'm serious. Uh, I get told everything by Gerald over here. Gerald over here is the one who gives me all my information. Uh, thank you, Gerald. Thank you for guesting on the show today, by the way. And um, could you let us know if you're, I'm winking at you, your cousin is actually going to show up in the new season of Lucha Underground because we'd <laughs> all really like to know. Oh, my. Do you have any idea the level of markery that I'll have <laughs> if Hiromu and Daryl show up in, in Lucha Underground? It, it's not. We don't know that it's Daryl, though, because it's wearing a mask. Oh, right. Sorry. Right. Der, Darlito. Yeah, Darlito. Well, hey, later this week, we're going to uh, have our regular show on Thursdays where we recap the happenings over in WWE, including Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and more. We are less than three weeks away from the first of the big four of 2018, and that is the Royal Rumble. And there are some epic things getting put together. The first ever the first ever women's Royal Rumble. Nothing bigger than that, if I'm if I'm being and, honest. And the men's Royal Rumble, I could go either way. Uh, if you, uh, what we're guessing is, if you win the Royal Rumble this year, you can challenge either for the Universal or the WWE Championship, or it might depend on brand. We still have yet to find out. I think we're going to have a Universal Championship match and a WWE Championship match with the winner of the Royal Rumble challenging. If if it stays the same, AJ Styles for the WWE. I think it'll be the WWE Championship. Yeah, well, we'll see. This we'll is see. this is going to be interesting yeah. because we, I don't think we've had this before. I, it's and you know what? It's such a relief to be this invested in WWE because there's definitely been some dark times where I just could give a crap and WWE's done a good job of building up so we will get into that later this week 
and uh, continue the road to Royal Rumble. Uh, I'm so happy we got to talk about Wrestle Kingdom. Finally, yes. get some New Japan content out yes. here. Uh, again, if you do not watch New Japan and you made it all the way to this part of the show, thank you very much. We very much appreciate it. Please hit us up on Facebook at the Busted Wide Open Discussion Group. We talk about all things wrestling there. We share some memes. We have discussions on matches. We throw back to old matches we may have seen before. Uh, and we just talk about the, the news and happenings going on in wrestling right now. It's also a great place to let us know how we're doing on this show. If you think that we're doing a good job as far as uh, explaining things, if you'd like to see us do a bit of a different format, or if you have any... Uh, uh, comments or criticisms that's a great place to air it yeah. another place to air it go over to the itunes store the apple itunes store and uh hit the subscribe button give us a review give us some feedback give us five stars that sort of thing or the android ios whatever you have just give let us know what you think and we will continue to put out as many of these shows as we can for you yeah one of my goals for 2018 is to interact more with our listeners so we want to talk to you guys and i'm looking at my computer screen throwing my hands at it because i'm talking to you guys we really want to hang out with you guys a little bit more you can send us an email if you want to bwo at orbitaljigsaw.com or hit us up on twitter at bwo podcast if you'd like to rock some sweet swag you can head over to orbitaljigsaw.com slash store by a t-shirt hoodie phone case coffee mug whatever you like but i'm nick howell you can find me over on twitter at data center dude they make t-shirts for stuffed cats never mind my name is sir ian dangerous you can find me on twitter at sir ian dangerous well they might make cat lucha mask but by god would somebody stop the damn match this show is part of the orbital jigsaw network for more episodes subscribe to us on itunes Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. For details and show notes from each episode, check us out, orbitaljigsaw.com.